pulpit this morning, Bob McKelvey. Thank you so much for coming. For our Old Testament reading this morning, will you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6? Proverbs 6, and while you're turning there, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here with all of you and pray that the Lord's blessing will be upon us as we look into His Word. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 12. A worthless person. A wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly, in a moment, He will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. Then turn with me please to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Actually begin reading in verse from verse seventeen, Ephesians four. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. But rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the fact that indeed the Lord is our shepherd, that You, Lord Jesus, are the One who feeds us, who leads us beside still waters, who gives us victory over death and the forgiveness of sins that is ours. That we are, as we sang earlier, restored and redeemed and forgiven through Your shed blood. May we be mindful of that as we come to this passage that speaks of what we have in You And what we're called to as it relates to one another, especially here in the body of Christ. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that You will descend upon us. That You will open our minds to the truth. And You will seal it upon our hearts as those forgiven in You and as those who are new creatures 
called to live a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I have a very close pastor friend in the Philadelphia area. He's a PCA pastor. And we often joke around with one another. And sometimes we go a little bit too far with our joking. And as is the case sometimes when you do that with others, you can get under one another's skin. And years ago, uh, uh, while we were driving together, uh, he did that very thing. He got under my skin and I became a little bit agitated with him. And his response was simply, Ooh, Mr. Bitterheart. Well, we laughed, but he was right as he called me that. Knowing I love John Bunyan, he decided to create a name for me, maybe put me in Pilgrim's Progress. Mr. Bitterheart. I told him I had you know, named a, the title of a sermon after that situation. He got a good kick out of that. At the time, it was true. I wish I could say that that's the only time in my life that was true. And I'm sure you know with me how easily and we'll be talking about this spirit of bitterness can rise up within our hearts. And so with that in mind, I'll use the character Mr. Bitterheart to bring this challenge to you this morning from this passage in Ephesians 4. As those with new life in Christ we are called to put off Mr. Bitterheart in our lives. Let's look at this passage. We began reading in verse 17 in a letter that has very much to do with the church of Jesus Christ and how we're to relate to one another, but speaks very much about the individual Christian life and and Paul here talks about the kind, the kind of life that unbelievers live in their impurity and in their passions. And he goes on to say, but that is not how you learned Christ. We're taught to put off the old life and to put on the new life. If... Indeed, he says, you've been taught in Christ. And we know as we look at John chapter 6, for anyone who comes to the Lord, who's drawn by the Holy Spirit to embrace Jesus Christ in faith, they've been taught of God. It's impossible for you as you sit here to be a Christian without knowing something of that, that you have been taught by God. In Christ. And then he goes on as we eventually come to verse 31. 
As we know from the previous verse that this work of putting off the old and putting on the new is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The one who has sealed us for the day of redemption. The one who dwells within the hearts of believers in Jesus Christ. He gives some instruction here, first in a negative way and then in a positive way, that relates to the old man and the new man. And he says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, these characteristics we're told to put off are distinct, but they all go together. And so when I speak of Mr. Bitterheart, I'm speaking of Mr. Bitterheart who not only struggles with bitterness, but these other traits as well. And you will find that somebody who is unleashing bitterness, that these other characteristics will often be present. In fact, they so easily go together. What is bitterness? Now, even a young child can understand the concept when you give them something to eat or drink that's bitter. When you give a, a three-year-old child, for example, not that I'm recommending it, a cup of black coffee. And they taste it, a taste of coffee, maybe for the first time in their life, without any sugar or milk in it. And they make a face. They know what is bitter. Because they know what is sweet. So somebody who is bitter is somebody who is not sweet. Someone who struggles with Feelings of resentment towards someone else. Someone nursing a grudge. Or holding a chip on their shoulder in their relationships with one another. And maybe even against God. Such an individual will easily give way to wrath and anger, very much overlapping terms here. That in our pride and self-centered tendencies, we can be given to turning against others. And even at times to be infuriated and full of rage. We know there is such a thing as righteous indignation. We know that in the anger displayed by Jesus Christ, His indignation was always righteous. Ours can be at times. But most often it is not. And it may give way even to clamor, to shouting and screaming at somebody. 
Maybe you've even had an episode of that this week. Husbands, wives, children, parents, a co-worker. Mr. Bitterheart often displays slander of in his bitterness against somebody will start to speak about someone in a way that is not true. He goes beyond gossip of speaking what is true but unnecessary to repeat. And he says things about people. Maybe he even believes them. But nonetheless, those things that he says are false. He stabs somebody in the back. In our bitterness, we can often be guilty of saying things about an individual that simply are not true. They're an exaggeration. They're a misrepresentation. But because of the root of bitterness within us, it leads us to say those things. He says, put away all these things from you. They belong to the old man. They belong to Adam, the one you're called to put off. As we put on the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Together, he says, with all malice, hostility, ill will towards somebody. Now, there was a, a character in the Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Malice. Remember at the trial, if you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, at Vanity Fair against Faithful. And one of the members of the jury was Mr. Malice. And when he was asked to give his opinion during the trial of Faithful that led to his execution, he said, I hate the very look of the man. When we struggle with malice and ill will and hostility towards somebody, maybe even here in the church, We can't stand to be around that person. The very sight of them causes something to seethe up within us. Here is Mr. Bitterheart. And you know, as you struggle with bitterness, you know that while it's expressed towards someone else, it does damage not just to that person, but to you. It is like a poison killing you. I grew up in the Pittsburgh area, a little corner Southeast Pittsburgh, Lincoln Place. And we had this old one-car garage next to our house, and we often got rats. You know, at the age of eight, I, I think that those rats looked much bigger and uglier than I would see them right now. 
But they're despicable creatures. And we put out decon rat poisoning. And I can still see that open box of decon sitting in the back of our garage. And of course, you know what my parents told me. Stay away from it. Don't touch it. Definitely don't eat it. It's poison. Here's what bitterness is like. It's like eating rat poison while you wait for the rat to die. Maybe you've heard that saying about bitterness before. That's what bitterness does to you. It poisons you. And we are called to put this off. You know, Paul is speaking to Christians who are learning Christ. And that we're putting on the new man and in this state of grace and are sealed by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that we don't struggle with these things. And you need to admit it. You need to stop excusing it. You need to stop blame shifting about it. Maybe that bitterness is attached to some situation that you experienced where you were treated unjustly. Maybe it has to do with your upbringing and the family you grew up in and the way you were treated. And you at times will excuse the anger and the rage and the bitterness that rises up within you because of what you had to go through. I once had a young lady say to me who had horrible past, filled with abuse. And she said to me one time when I was seeking to give her counsel, Don't tell me what to do. You have never walked a mile in my shoes. And I said to her, as she was talking about all that she went through and how it explained rightly, but didn't justify, as she was trying to do, how she was acting. I had to say to her, you're right. I haven't. I have no idea what you have gone through. I haven't experienced what you've gone through. But this much I know, what the Scriptures are teaching here, and here's one of the blessings of preaching at a church where I know hardly anybody. If I step on your toes, I can say, well, I didn't know you... That's what you experience. You might say to me today, Bob, you have no idea what I have gone through. 
You have no idea how my father treated me when I was growing up. And you may be right. But it never justifies the bitterness that is being displayed. And that bitterness is like a poison. And it is eating your insides out. Well, you know, as Paul writes, he doesn't just speak about the sin that we're called to put out of our lives, to turn away from, to repent of as as believers in Jesus Christ. He tells us what is to be displaced. You can't just sweep the room clean. You have to furnish it with what is good and right. And so he says in verse 32, as though he were saying, hey, instead of these things, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, be kind to one another. Show care for one another. That very kindness that we read of in Romans 2 that God displays towards the world, towards those who are the wicked in their unbelief, hoping that in showing such care, even against those who have hurt you the most, they could be led to repentance. Tenderhearted. Instead of Mr. Bitterheart, get him out of your life. Say hello to Mr. Tenderheart. Leave Mr. Bitterheart in the dust. The tender-hearted are those whose hearts go out to others. In the pains that they have experienced, in the tragedies that they have faced, maybe even in the consequences of their sinful choices. I've heard some, for example, of the prison ministry that you have here. What a blessing that is. And in prison ministry, you're dealing with people who are now suffering the consequences of their horrible choices. And we're called not to just say, You got what you deserved. You got what was coming to you. And while that's true, we can, as we seek to minister to such people, have hearts that go out to them. And then he says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We could sum these up. I'll come back to forgiveness in a moment here. We could sum all this up, this kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. And by the way, like Mr. Bitterheart, Mr. Tenderheart, all these things go together in him, kindness and and forgiveness towards others. It's summed up in the next chapter in verse 2 as Paul exhorts, 
Christians to be imitators of God and says, walk in love. When we walk in love, this is how we will show ourselves towards others. We'll be kind to them. Even when they've behaved unjustly against us. When they sin against us, we will have hearts of forgiveness. We will recognize the wonderful truth of Matthew 18 when Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven? You know, that's a lot in one day. No. Seventy times seven. And Jesus is not saying 490. He's saying your forgiveness is without limit. How can that be? Because God's forgiveness of you is without limit. And there is the key. Paul makes it clear at the end of verse 2 and at the end of chapter 4 in verse 32. Forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. There's the key. We can forgive those who sin against us because we understand forgiveness. As we confessed our faith together in the shorter catechism this morning, as we opened up in question 105, the Lord's Prayer and that petition, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And we're not being taught there that if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. But as the answer tells us, we're encouraged to ask for God's forgiveness because we know we have a heart that forgives others. How is that? Because we have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We have determined when those who have sinned against us, we have determined not to use those sins against that person, to put them aside. No, forgiveness doesn't mean you forget what happened. It doesn't make the pain automatically go away. It doesn't mean you lay down like a doormat and let people walk all over you without accountability. It doesn't mean necessarily that your relationship is automatically restored. It doesn't mean that you automatically trust that person who has hurt you. But it does mean this. I am determined as I reflect upon the hurts that this person has caused me, not to bring it out into the open and use it against them, not to wield it as a weapon, not to hold a grudge against that person. There's a country song about burying the hatchet in 
A line in the song says, we buried the hatchet but left the handle sticking out. We struggle with forgiveness in that way as believers. We say to somebody, brother, will you, will you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. And we bury the hatchet, but we leave the handle sticking out so that we can grab it at a moment's notice and wield it against them. How often we struggle with that. Something's supposed to be in the past and we bring it back out into the open. It doesn't mean when somebody sins against you, it doesn't mean we never talk about it, but we refuse to use it against that person. And that, my brothers and sisters, is impossible to do without Christ. Without that Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Without reflecting more and more on the forgiveness that you have in Jesus Christ. And maybe, as you sit here today, you don't have a heart of forgiveness. Maybe you're like, James Oglethorpe, who John Wesley spoke to once, this British colonel had a subordinate come to him and he had messed up the soldier and he asked the colonel to forgive him. And James Oglethorpe looked at the young man and said, I never forgive. And John Wesley looked at him and said, then I hope, sir, You never sin. What was he saying? If you don't have a heart of forgiveness, you don't know God's forgiveness. And it better be the case that you never sin. Because God will not forgive you. That is just to say, if you truly understand the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you new life, you will have a heart of forgiveness. doesn't mean you won't struggle, but you will have that heart. And you must keep looking to Him If you don't have that heart, then I urge you, run to Jesus Christ. Find His forgiveness. Know the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ for you. And stand amazed at that. And then you will see something marvelous happen. You will have a heart that releases people from the charges that you have against them. That's what happens in forgiveness. And you might say, well, hold on a second. You can't forgive somebody if they don't ask. There's some truth to that. The process is not totally finished until they ask. But it can be as good as done from your perspective. 
your relationship may not be restored. And that person, and maybe it is, for example, a father or a husband or a wife or a parent who has hurt you terribly. And they never ask for forgiveness. It can be as good as done for you. You don't have to be bitter because you know how much Christ has forgiven you. There's a story of a young man by the name of Bruce Goodrich. A young man who was just about to enter Texas A&M University. This is 1984. And he had joined the cadet corps at the university. And one night, before he formally started as a student, some of the upperclassmen in the cadet corps took the new student's out on a run, an unauthorized training run. And in the midst of this run, Bruce Goodrich fell to the ground and never got up. He died of a heart attack. It was hazing. It was abuse. Let's say that was your son. How would you feel? I know what I would struggle with. I would want to go after those guys. His father wrote a letter to the university after the funeral thanking the university for the outpouring of love that they had shown. And then he amazingly wrote in this letter, Perhaps it will be of some comfort to you that we harbor no ill will towards those who are involved. Our son as a believer in Jesus Christ had an appointment with God and he is in heaven with him. Why did this happen then? The father went on to say. Perhaps to show others the forgiveness of Christ and lead them to an eternal heaven. Who knows where a tender heart will lead you and what impact it will have. But maybe we all put that on because we have known the tenderheartedness of Christ towards us. Let's pray together. Father, we confess we struggle at times with bitterness, with ill will towards others. We rejoice when something bad happens to them. We rejoice when they stumble and fall. Maybe even in the lives of believers that we're relating to. Free us from this. Not because we try harder, but because the Holy Spirit who dwells within us shows us the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that has forgiven us 
and overwhelmed by that. That we would have a heart towards others that goes out to them, that shows pity and compassion and kindness and forgiveness. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would work this in us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that that we will be overwhelmed by all that You have done for us. And we pray all of this in Your name. Amen. Will you turn with me please for a hymn of response to number 494. Very much in line with what we have seen in Ephesians 4. Forgive our sins as we forgive. Number 494, as we stand together please, 494.